You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Ezra. Here's Nate. Well, the end of Ezra chapter 4 is one of the saddest statements, I think, in all of the Old Testament. There in the first few chapters, you have this wonderful revival amongst God's people. They return from their slavery and captivity in Babylon to Jerusalem, to God's holy city, to rebuild the temple and reestablish and reinvigorate the worship of God and the nation of Israel. They were going to fulfill their duties and obligations under the Mosaic covenant to worship God. They were saying to God, yes, we agree with you. We are your people. We want to experience your blessings wonderfully upon our lives. The worship had begun to be restored. The feasts and the sacrifices were beginning to be observed. But then some opposition entered into their lives. And that opposition uh, led them to abandon the work of God for a period of 15 to 16 years. The temple lay dormant, the foundation left unbuilt, and the people of God entered into a period of great depression and spiritual uh, poverty and death before the Lord. But God's solution to this problem to this dryness, to this ineffective time, this joyless, dark time in their lives was very simple. It says in verse 1 of Ezra chapter 5, Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then... Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. God's solution to this great problem, this spiritual slumber that had come across upon the people of Israel, was to send these two men, these two prophets, the first prophet was a man by the name of Haggai. And when Haggai showed up on the scene, he asked very searching questions. He said, listen, is the word on the street that the time for the building of the house of the Lord is not yet? Is it time for you, O people, to dwell in your paneled houses to try to enjoy great riches? And then Haggai had quite a proposition for them. He said, listen, you are going to put your money into bags with holes. You're not going to be able to hold on to that which is yours. This is going to be a time of great poverty because you have not prioritized the house of God and the work of God here on earth. I think one of the greatest observations there during that time is that Potentially, what had happened is that the people of Israel, unable to use all of the wealth that was designated for the rebuilding of the temple, began to use those things for the building of their own homes. And Haggai came and swiftly rebuked that kind of activity. 
and also in just a period of a couple of months uh, of prophecies spoke to uh, Joshua and Zerubbabel and provoked them to get up and do the work that God had called them to do. Now, Zechariah, his prophecies, he came in uh, for two years uh, and came in after Haggai had already begun his ministry. Haggai prophesied from August to December, but Zechariah prophesied for two years, starting in October or November after Haggai had begun. And Zechariah was a wild man with wild prophecies, but he saw things that were designed to encourage Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the people to get up and get going with the work. And when these prophets were ministering to them, speaking to them, boldly declaring to them, the response of the leaders, Zerubbabel and Jeshua, and the response of the people is wonderful. So often the response to prophets is absolutely negative. Sometimes these prophets even lose their lives in the Old Testament era. But here the people respond in obedience and they rise up and they do the work. Listen, child of God, there will be moments where spiritual slumber might come upon your heart. There might be moments where seasons of fatigue and disobedience enter in, where you're not as zealous as you used to be. You know what God wants to do to stir you up? The same thing that he did for these people. A fresh word of God into your life and into your heart. I'm not talking about any extra biblical revelation. I'm talking about the word of God entering into your life and into your heart in a fresh, new, applicable way so that you would then say yes to, to the work of God inside of your life. And for any of you that have had someone like this in your life, someone willing to speak the truth into your heart in a powerful and poignant way, you know how wonderfully it can motivate you in your walk and relationship with God. So the people rose up and began to get back to the process of building. Now at the same time, verse 3, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bazanai and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? They also asked them this, what are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. Now, it's interesting, this figure, Tatani, the governor of that trans-Euphrates beyond the river region, uh, he actually, we do have record of him in the uh, secular account, uh, there's a Babylonian record dated 502 BC naming this man and his office as governor of the region beyond uh, the river. And it would have been his responsibility. You know, years have go gone by. It's almost been two decades. He sees these people building. This was the kind of thing that had to be governmentally approved. And so he just does his duty and he begins to inquire, who told you to do this? And what are the names of the people who are doing it? And maybe a little bit of intimidation there, but the beautiful line there in verse five, 
but the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews. You know, this is very similar to uh, other language throughout Ezra and Nehemiah. Most often, they speak of the hand of the Lord being on them, but here you have the eye of the Lord upon the elders of the Jews in this rebuilding project. This is just God's providential uh, ministry uh, to their lives, sovereignly caring for them and watching over them. Now, in verse 6, we have a copy of this letter. This is the copy, verse 6, of the letter that Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar, Bozani, and his associates, the governors who were in the province beyond the river, sent to Darius the king. They sent him a report in which was written as follows. So here's the letter. To Darius the king, all peace. Be it known to the king that we went to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God. It is being built with huge stones, and timber is laid in the walls. This work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. When Then we asked those elders and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and finish this structure? We also asked them their names for your information, that we might write down the names of their leaders. And so, as was the custom in that time and, and age, they were sending this request directly to King Darius, and he would directly as well uh, respond. Now, in verse 11, they continue their letter. And this was their reply to us, to their inquiry. They said, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our fathers had angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried away the people to Babylonia. Now, this is fascinating to me for a couple of reasons inside of this letter. First of all, notice that Tatnai, as he writes this letter, he says, when I asked them who they were, they said, we are servants of the God of heaven and earth. They did not respond by saying, we are servants of Darius, king of Persia, or we are servants of Cyrus, the previous king of Persia. No, they say, we are servants of the God of heaven and earth. And I think that when that shift begins to happen inside of a human heart, when people begin to realize, when a believer begins to realize, listen, I'm not here to uh, serve man. I mean, I want to be a servant to mankind, but ultimately man isn't who I report to duty to. I'm reporting to the Lord. I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in to the joy of the Lord. There's something beautifully freeing, I think, about uh, that perspective and about that reality, if we can capture it in humility. But then secondly, uh, it's also important to notice here that they recognized that the reason that they were brought historically into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon is because, and this is what they say, our fathers have had angered the God of heaven. They knew now exactly why the temple was destroyed and why their ancestors and why they themselves, some of them, were deported. It was because of disobedience. And it's so good for a child of God to recognize the discipline of God upon their lives. 
Tatani goes on in his letter and says, however, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, so he's continuing to record the response of the people of Israel, Cyrus the king made a decree that this house of God should be rebuilt, and the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought into the temple of Babylon, these Cyrus the king took out of the temple of Babylon, and they were delivered to one whose name was Sheshbazar, whom he made governor. And he said to him, Take these vessels, go and put them in the temple that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt on its site. Then this Sheshbazar came and laid the foundations of the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and from that time until now it has been in building, and it is not yet finished. So, you know, we've been here for a really long time. Cyrus is the one who told us to rebuild, and we're still not done yet, but uh, King Cyrus did tell us to go, and he put all of these, you know, valuable possessions and commissioned uh, this man, Sheshbazar, to help us in this rebuilding uh, process. Now, I briefly talked about this in chapter one, but the question of who is this figure, uh, Sheshbazar? And uh, it does tell us that Sheshbazar, Bazar laid the temple foundations in chapter 3, uh, meaning uh, leading many of us to believe that he and Zerubbabel are one in the same. Uh, but it's also possible and perhaps even probable that Sheshbazar was sort of the uh, Persian governmental official and that Zerubbabel was the Jewish governmental official and that at some point early on Sheshbazar passed away and Zerubbabel assumed all of those leadership duties. If that's the case then it makes sense why in this letter uh, the people when they respond to Tatnai would say hey listen we had an official uh, man named Sheshbazar uh, tell us uh, to do this. And, and he was the one that Cyrus installed the authority uh, into in order to rebuild this temple. So finally, they conclude their letter to King Darius in verse 17. Therefore, if it seems good to the king, let search be made in the royal archives there in Babylon to see whether a decree was issued by Cyrus the king for the rebuilding of this house of God in Jerusalem, and let the king send us his pleasure in this matter. Now, this is a great moment of anticipation for the people of God. They're, they haven't stopped building. They're, they haven't suspended anything during the wait those months as the letter traveled back and forth. But still, there's anticipation. What is it that we're going to be told we're allowed to do? Is this going to get difficult? Is this going to get ugly? Are we going to have to shed blood for the rebuilding of this temple? So it says in chapter 6, verse 1, Then Darius the king made a decree, and search was made in Babylonia in the house of the archives where the documents were stored. And in Ecbatana, the citadel that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found on which this was written, a record. In the first year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree. So Darius found this decree, and here we have it quoted for us in Ezra chapter 6. 
Concerning the house of God at Jerusalem, let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered, and let its foundations be retained. Its height shall be 60 cubits, and its breadth 60 cubits. And this was probably actually just Cyrus saying, these are the outer limits of how big it can be. With three layers of great stones and one layer of timber, let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. And also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place. You shall put them in the house of God. And so Darius finds this record from Cyrus. It is just as the people of Israel had declared. Now, therefore, and this is now Darius writing, Now, therefore, Tatnai, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar Bozani, and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work on this, this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its Sight. Now, this is fascinating here. The first thing that Darius decrees after reading the decree of Cyrus is he says, listen, Tatnai and all the governmental officials in that region, you leave them alone. You let them build this house. You let them build it on that site and do not interfere. Keep away. The work shall continue. Now, that would just be a wonderful provision and hand of God upon their lives if that was all that Darius had commissioned. But he said in verse 8, Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. And whatever is needed, bulls, rams, or sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priests at Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Now, as I mentioned already concerning Cyrus, when he sent the people back to Israel to rebuild the temple, uh, odds are that Darius likes Cyrus. Uh, odds are that both of those men were not actual believers, uh, but they were holding to the traditional view that there were regional gods in these various places and locations throughout the world, and that if they could transport people to those regions and get them worshiping their regional gods and praying for them, uh, that their kingdom overall would be blessed. And it appears that's what uh, Darius is doing in one sense. But isn't it beautiful that the tables here so quickly turn? And he says, listen, Tatnai, I know that you're wondering whether this is a legal thing or not. You're probably hoping that I would write back to you and say, you know, this work is illegal. I decree that it should stop. But instead, instead Darius makes a decree and says, I want you to let them build, stay out of their way, and also you need to pay for it. 
You need to make sure that from the king's treasury, they have all the money they need, all the sacrifices they need, all the livestock, all the produce that they need in order to offer their sacrifices, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Now, here's the thing. I think a great lesson for us to learn as we watch our spiritual ancestors here for a moment. A great lesson to learn is that these people had no promise that this would be the outcome in their lives. The only thing that they saw is that this was a difficult task. It's going to be hard for us to move forward. The prophets are prophesying. They're speaking to us, telling us that we are in sin for saying that this is a time for us to dwell in our paneled houses. It's not working for us, we must obey the Lord. And they begin that beautiful process of being obedient to the Lord. But here's the thing. So often costly obedience leads to God's wonderful and sovereign provision upon our lives. So often the Lord will open a door, provide the financial means after we take that difficult and necessary step of obedience unto him. And that's what was going on here. Darius offers this decree and man, what a great word of encouragement this would have been for the Israelite builders. Now, if that had been it, that would have been enough. They would have been celebrating and rejoicing. We get to be left alone and we get the financial and and uh, you know, livestock contributions required to sacrifice to the Lord. But then Darius writes even further in verse 11. Also, I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house and he shall be impaled on it. And his house shall be made a dunghill. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy this God of uh, this house of God that is in Jerusalem, I, Darius, make a decree, let it be done with all diligence. Now, this is a fascinating uh, additional part of Darius's decree. Part one, let them build. Part two, pay for it. Part three, if you interfere, if you touch the house of God, if you try to destroy the house of God, then May God destroy you, and under my reign, a beam will be pulled out of your house, you'll be impaled on it, and your home will become a future dunghill. I mean, this is very serious from King uh, Darius. It speaks of the protection of God upon the work that was happening uh, there in Jerusalem. Now, here's a fascinating element. Darius said, you know, may God overthrow any who shall put out a hand to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. You know, years later, uh, after Darius, a king named Antiochus or a, a leader named Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated the temple. Three la years later, died uh, insane. Herod the Great, uh, at the time right before Christ and at the birth of Jesus, he added extensively to the temple, touched the temple. Why? For God's glory? No, to glorify himself and ultimately died of disease. And the Romans who attacked 
the city of Jerusalem and destroyed the temple in 70 AD, uh, very soon afterwards had their entire empire destroyed. And so uh, it's just interesting to see the outcome of those who have touched the temple in the past, perhaps according even to the word of Darius. Then verse 13, according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar, Bozanai, and their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. So these guys come back. Well, hey, we were hoping that this work would stop, but we've heard that we actually have to help you. And the elders of the Jews, verse 14, built and prospered through what? The word of Darius? No, through the prophecy of uh, of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by the decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. So here we get a fast forward into the future. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. So 70 and a half years after this temple had been initially destroyed, uh, they complete the work. Four and a half years after Haggai had begun prophesying, they finish the work. 21 years after they had moved to Jerusalem in the first place, they finish the work. Anything worth doing takes a little bit of time. And so these people, they finished the work of building the house of God and they rejoiced. Verse 16, the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats according to the number of the tribes of israel it's important to note that they were still hoping for a unified nation even though here it's judah and benjamin mostly they're thinking of all 12 tribes and they set the priests in their divisions and the levites in their divisions for the service of god at jerusalem as it is written in the book of moses so biblical spiritual leadership now, on the 14th day of the first month, verse 19, the returned exiles kept the Passover. This is a beautiful time. It had been 70 years that they had partaken of this feast, you know, commemorating their release from Egyptian bondage and God's purchase of them, redemption of them. And so they began to celebrate this once again. For the priests, verse 20, and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. Notice the highlight and the importance of being clean before the Lord. Do not defile yourself. Do not allow yourself to go into directions you know you should not go. Be a pure 
person unto the Lord. Keep your vows and your covenants to the Lord. And if you have muddied yourself through sin, come to him with repentance that he might cleanse your life. And they, verse 22, and they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. I love here that Darius, who is the king of Assyria in that Assyria has been defeated and swallowed up by the Persian empire. He's really the Persian king. Here he's called the king of Assyria, which would be a little bit of a thumb in the nose to the idea that, you know, it was the Assyrians who began this whole process of driving us out in the first place. And now the one who's the king over their region is the one who has helped give us permission to build this house and to reestablish our identity as a nation. But it was the Lord who had done all of it. It was the Lord who had turned his heart. It was the Lord that had aided them. And it was the Lord, verse 22, who had made them joyful. Listen, this is where you are going if you continue to build for the Lord. You stay that course and the joy of the Lord will come upon your heart. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.